I just spent like 15 minutes trying to log into my MySpace account. At the very <laughs> least. I don't even know why. MySpace. I just really wanted to see what my MySpace account looked like. Were you alive when MySpace existed? You know there are a lot of people who are like, you're what? <laughs> Did you know what I say to them? Jillian Pensavale. <laughs> Patrick Hines. Ba-da-da. You guys, before we get to the show, just a reminder, two more live shows this year, uh, September 26th in Toronto at the, as the part of the Just for Last Festival. Yes, which is amazing that we're going to be there. I can't believe it. You know who else is going to be there when who? we're there? Do you know? No. Carol Burnett. <gasps> I have a lot of things about Carol Burnett that I feel. They're all positive. Uh, Annie was a staple in my household. If I, what if we just like run into Carol Burnett? Oh my God. And uh, also you guys, October 5th in Brooklyn with Lance and Tim and Maggie. We're doing the Maura Murray thing. Mm-hmm. We're just going to talk on and on and on about more Murray I'm good you guys I have so much stuff I found out about Lance and Tim today that we are gonna use to skewer them yeah in a loving way also the Patreon girl mm-hmm. uh, you guys Pates the party the Pates party at the $5 level you get over 90 full bonus episodes to download and binge right this second mm-hmm. if you want to hear us do episode by episode coverage of making a murderer the staircase the, the jinx, jinx Lorena Casey Anthony we started OJ Madeline McCann Madeline McCann just there's so much stuff on the Patreon you get it right the second you sign up yeah you can get ringtones and ad-free episodes and extended outtakes and just us hanging out. The There's after party. The after I party. Mean, come on. There's a lot going on. Who are, what are you from, Queens? Come on. Right, get, just get over there. Just stop. All right. Get, oh, God. This one over here. Antony's like on. <laughs> You guys, it, it doesn't get better in episode two. Oh, no. It gets worse, actually. It gets a <laughs> oh, whole lot worse. Oh, it gets so much worse. It gets worse than you ever could have imagined, truly. And I forgot I forgot that I knew, oh, it's terrible. Because we're trying to block it out. We're I know. We're trying to block it out. It's a weird job. We, uh, we, we have to talk about it while we block it out. It's very weird. If we play this trailer, it buys us two more minutes before we have to talk about it. Oh, great, great, great. Yeah, it's the one you already heard, but I need these two minutes. Yes. Hold on. <laughs> there was a lot of turmoil in this house. It's eerie to think something happened here, really right where I'm standing. Susan Cox Powell, who was beautiful, <laughs> she had these young boys, and then she just disappears. All of her friends say she would never leave her children. When's the last time you've seen her? Josh tells police he took their two young sons camping at midnight in sub-zero temperatures. Who would take their kids out camping at 2 o'clock in the morning, a 2-year-old and a 4-year-old? She told me that she was considering divorcing him. If something happens to me or my family, covering all my bases. I had no doubt that he was responsible. However, I could not prove it. Josh's father, Steve, was obsessed with her and in love with her in a sick and twisted way. He's stalking her, and he's created this fantasy that she's really wanting this. She knows I'm here. (laughs) He had something to do with it, no doubt in my mind. Is Susan's father-in-law the mastermind behind her disappearance? Move your hand, move the box. No! So, here we are. Daddy and daughter. It was this harassment campaign. There's nothing that could ever excuse what the police did to our family. It was 
unbelievable watching this thing unfold. I mean, how do you not be affected by it? So we open with this sheriff who just really wants us to know that we should not be calling this a tragedy. Because, and he's, wait, before you garbage bell him, (laughs) what he's trying to say is there's not a word for this. It's a murder. Right. It's a murder. And he's saying that like tragedy. Right. It's it's like an accident. Like it was a tragic, it was... I don't, I don't even want to like list more things. Right. We're already talking about, you guys know what a tragedy is. I don't have to give you examples. God. I don't call it a tragedy. Tragedy sugarcoats it. Tragedy puts a distance between it. What this was was a horrible murder. Let's call it that. Let's make stark statements about that. So we last left with this big bombshell interview with Alina. So Alina is Josh Powell's younger sister. She's never given an interview before. And and apparently her take on things is really going to make us see this whole thing differently. Okay. Well, she's also (laughs) the alibi for Steve Powell, the creepy father-in-law. Exactly. Susan's father-in-law and her father. And she, at first, I'm like, she's doing a little Karen Walker. Honey, what's this? Who is this? What's going on? Like, I'm a little (laughs) not, my guard's still up. Uh But she wins me over for a hot second because she, He's like, I didn't like Josh. I actually like Susan a lot better. Sounds terrible to admit that I didn't really care that much about having a relationship with him. You know, he was my brother, but but he kind of drove me nuts. Yeah, she's like, Josh was garbage, but let us not forget that Alina is also garbage. Yeah, oh, no, that's what I'm saying. Alina, yeah. She had my attention for a second, yeah. and then she loses it. And we said last episode, like, I can't imagine what it was like being Alina growing up in that household with Steve Powell. He's a yeah. narcissist. He's controlling. He's horrible. Josh is your brother. Like, it's a nightmare to be there. And she was definitely manipulated. But I just hearing her say a lot of these things is really, really hard to hear. So buckle up for that. So here's how she starts. Everyone's like, would you get to it? Right. Why do, Why are we so conflicted on her? Why do we hate her so much? So when remember how Josh can't keep a job? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Deadbeat, like, dirtbag, yeah, the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so for a little bit, they uh, Susan and Josh had to live with Stephen Powell, Josh's dad, and Susan's father-in-law, who was like really horribly stalking her yeah. and sexualizing her and it, just videotaping her all the time and being a horrible person. It was 2001. It was eight years before Susan goes missing. In Washington State. Yeah. And this whole thing. So Alina was living there at the time. Right. So Alina is sitting here and trying to tell us, look, there are two sides to every story. And usually, yeah. I have in my note. I'm like, there are no sides to this. She's missing. Right. And then it becomes, ooh, Alina, now you're victim blaming. Right. Because now the side of the story that Alina wants us to know is that Susan, who was 19 when they got married, was totally feeding into Stephen's obsession and delusional behavior with her. She was flirty. She was laughing. She's a little too pretty. There is a side to Susan that, you know, the other side doesn't want you to to see, doesn't want to expose. Do something good for the video camera, too. No, I'll do this. (laughs) We saw glimpses of that. But what we're told by these experts over and over and over again is that she's not flirting. All she's trying to do is survive. Remember, she's in this marriage now. She can't ever get out of it because of religion and and the way that she believes the world is. She is just trying to, like, tolerate him and put up with him. But we're seeing these videos of her, like, you know, turning to the side and making a little sexy face. Kind of, like, unzipping her vest. The whole point here is that Alina is saying, my dad was oblivious. He didn't know anything. But then all of a sudden, Susan started coming onto him really strong. And so he started to reciprocate. Over time. I'd start seeing her kind of, you know, do like little flirty movements, flirty expressions and different things like that. She was playing a game with him and getting into dangerous territory. 
So she's justifying her dad's super creepy behavior, mm-hmm. stalking Susan, taking like photos of her upper skirt, videos, from, videos of her that she doesn't know that. Uh, through blinds that look like they're staged. Like exactly. it looks like no one has actually really done this. Exactly. He did it all. She's normalizing this behavior. And enabling it. And enabling it and being horrible. So you guys, we have to go back to, there's more of the videos and the stalking and we have to tell you this because it's not more of the same. It's right. escalating. Yeah, and it's so fucking gross. Over the years, he has created this fantasy in his mind that they are kind of just waiting out Josh. They have this secret unspoken thing, but very spoken on his end. And sometimes she lets his hands linger for a second before she swats him away. Uh, but then, because he narrates, right? We said this last episode. Yeah, he, he narrates, narrates his own home videos. Ugh. We are seeing videos of her underwear. And he says, I love putting her underwear against my face. Like he waits until she goes into the shower and then like sneak and then like takes what she was wearing that day. The really disturbing part to me is the psychological abuse that he's perpetrating on her. So psychologically, emotionally, she doesn't feel safe. I love putting her underwear against my face, just smelling her scent. She's constantly being observed. I've seen her breasts. She doesn't know it, but I have. And she's come out of the shower. And obsessed. God, I worship her. And harassed in this way. She knows I'm here. And that's really, that's really tragic. She did that for me. She's a victim. And she's not the only one. This is a compulsive thing that he's doing. Exactly. So remember how Josh Powell doesn't care about Susan? Right. His wife who's been missing, he does. he's shown no emotion about it. Right. She's been missing for 30 days now. It's January 2010. And Josh in his infinite wisdom, decides to move out of their house in Utah and move back to Washington to live with his creepy dad. Neighbors are more than shocked. If you think your wife is still alive and if somehow she is freed from bondage or was unconscious or had been held prisoner and she gets free, the first place she's going to come is back home. But then Alina, queen of like showing us the flip side of things, mm. says something I kind of agree with. Which is what? Which is that like, well, Josh has got two kids. He's like raising them on his own and he's grief stricken and he's suffering. Like, why wouldn't he move home? And that would be totally fine. Yeah. I would I would really hear that and say, look, he has to do what he has to do if he's doing something that's best for his kids. But he didn't say, I want to make sure that if she really does come back to this house, this is where I she am. She knows where I, like leave a note on the door. Or, or go to the police and say, I need to take care of my family. Uh-huh. But what can I do to really not leave Susan. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then what he does is he starts doing, and this is horrible, but like it's the fact of life. When someone passes away, there's like paperwork that has to be done, right? Josh starts doing all of that. He's calling her chiropractor, canceling appointments. He's calling the babysitter saying, we no longer need your services. He's filing paperwork with her employer to get her retirement. He knows that she's gone. She's not coming back. How callous, right? But also just why he's so bad at this. I feel like I say this in every episode. These fucking idiots are so bad. I don't know how, how, how they got away with this. Yeah. I really don't. So he's back in Washington and which is also where Susan's family lives. Susan's dad is holding a candlelight vigil for Susan. And we're told that's like the last gasp of like the things you do when your kid is missing and there's no leads. Right. And it's also another way to keep the story alive. Yeah. She's missing and it's just awareness. But Josh shows up at this vigil and it's like on one hand it's like well of course he's going to show up because it's her husband, but also everybody knows he's a person of interest. Uh-huh. And he gets there. And he should be organizing them, by the way. And print one <laughs> missing person's flyer. And then when he gets there, he won't let the grandpa see the grandkid. We were not allowed to talk to the children because 
By that time in the media, we were saying, Josh, why aren't you talking to the police? Why aren't you willing to tell the police what you know about Susan being missing? I was certainly wanting to see the children and there was, they wanted to see us, but he was prohibiting that based on, he just didn't want him near us. Can you imagine if Susan was really missing and he really didn't know where she was? Like, like it would be all hands on deck. This happens all the time. Why aren't they one team right. trying to figure out what happened and get to the bottom of it? Patrick, I could fucking <laughs> break everything in here. I know, but the, because Josh doesn't want them to figure it out. Because he knows well, exactly where what? she is. what? We all know. I know, you I know. piece of shit. I know. <laughs> Wait, me or Josh? Josh. <laughs> I'm furious I know, about this. I know, I know. But then, for a little bit of levity, Detective Ellis comes back <laughs> because he's as mad as all of us. Right? Right. He's at ten million. He's at ten thousand too. Yeah. And he says, I think to Stephanie, he's like, Steph, look. Is he responsible? Certainly. And yeah, did I want to pull Josh in and just slap him around a little bit, do a little 1950s police work? Absolutely, I wanted to. Did I want to pull Josh in and slap him around, do a little 1950s police work? Of course I did. But there's a little thing called evidence, sweetheart. I couldn't do it. But I love slap him around and do a little 1950s police work. The girl like, days. Yeah. Back when you could really do some policing. Back when we really had broads, you know, dames I'm talking about. But what Detective Ellis is saying to us, like, yeah, we all knew he did it, but there was no forensic evidence. There's no physical evidence. There's no witnesses. There's no confession. And I'm like, but this guy's a dummy derpy derp. Like, right. how is there no evidence? Are you telling me? Are you trying to tell me? I'm sorry, Ellis Maxwell. Right, right. <laughs> are you, <laughs> Sir. Sir, ma'am. What you're trying to tell me is that whatever that trick with the couch and the box fans, that worked? <laughs> well, but we get we get this whole list down the road of, like, all the actual phys- physical evidence there is. Her purse is in the house. The couch. The box fans. There's blood spatter on the the floor i know i know on the tile next to the couch but like what did he do to that couch i don't know like it, no one said a thing about it really smelled like bleach it really <laughs> smelled like fabric cleaner <laughs> in here you know what i mean like but anyway. we also we are paid a visit by the smart family remember elizabeth smart elizabeth smart at the time was 14 years old and she was kidnapped from her bedroom here in utah in the middle of the night her sister described a man coming in and, and that there was a knife and that she was spirited away. And it triggered searches all over for months and months and months. There are similarities between the two cases. At one point, Ed Smart and other family members were considered suspects in Elizabeth's disappearance. And then nine months later, she shows up. She comes back. And so Detective Ellis is saying to us, like, what if we have an Elizabeth Smart situation on our hands where we're pretty sure that the guy did it, but then we arrest the guy and then she actually does show up? I would say cost of doing business, maybe. Like, can we just... <laughs> I'm with you. So what's the problem? I mean, maybe, like, they'll get sued or whatever, but, like... But you are advocating right now for putting an innocent man in jail. That's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm doing. It's not what I'm doing. I'm advocating getting Josh Powell behind bars any which way we can. I agree with that's, you. That's what. That's all I'm saying. Okay. Don't but- you? In my scenario, he was innocent. But he's not innocent. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. You better edit. Don't edit this to make me sound like a monster because you know what I was trying to say. Well, I'm going to edit it so you're like, I think all people should <laughs> be put <laughs> in jail no matter what. I especially hate the case. So the police, it feels like the cops are being pretty frustrating because we have the purse, like Susan's purse, her keys. Wait, there actually is physical the evidence. The box fans, the fake phone call and all right. this stuff. And some one of our talking heads actually says like, look, if you've ever watched like a true crime show and 
I'm like, hey, girl, um, <laughs> everyone knows you can try a case without a body. Right. And then suddenly, that's not really true at all. Because right. suddenly, we're talking about Casey goddamn Anthony. I know. We're and back. The- we just left her. <laughs> Casey Anthony was acquitted because of a defense that blamed her father for her daughter's death. So it's conceivable that Josh could have done the same thing. Even though Steve had an alibi, it's possible that his obsession with Susan could create enough reasonable doubt to find Josh not guilty. So they're saying a good defense attorney would look at the Casey Anthony case and use it as a model for this case. And honestly, it's an even better case here. I was going to say there actually is a case here. Right, because the dad was obsessed with her, was stalking her, has all this creepy shit. He has journals and hours, you guys, hundreds of hours of tape. Like any defense team would be like, bitch, we're pointing at the dad who probably had something to do with it. Right, exactly. And then we get Alina's back. Remember you liked her for one second? No. I thought... I thought maybe I would give her the time of day for yeah. a split second and then I no now as they I'm say in pretty women big mistake huge big mistake huge I'm just making sure the love of my life the garbage bill is really <laughs> because she's saying like over time we were like well I mean it's looking more and more likely that he didn't do it because I can't imagine how he could have gotten away with it gotten rid of all evidence it just became such an implausible scenario he couldn't have done it how could he have gotten rid of all the evidence by himself and i'm like girl your entire family helped him entire family because this is what remember he's got the brother michael who's his big confidant Mm -hmm. who did a whole bunch of shady shit in the last episode the super creepy dad they were both off the grid at the same time right the day after susan went missing alina your entire family is involved in this wake up i know Moonstruck, I want to slap her. Like, Cher, wake up. <laughs> Step out of it. I thought you were going to mention Mermaids, where oh. she says to Winona Ryder, what are you going as, the town slut? <laughs> no, Mom, the town already has one. <laughs> so now that it's so obvious that Josh and Steve did it, what do they do? They go on a media tour. Right. Why would they? This is unreal. Remember, again, it, it, the story had been in Josh and his dad's stupid brains that she'd been kidnapped. Now they've shifted the story to she was super slutty and she ran off with another man. And suicidal and all this stuff. Steve goes on TV. I think it's ABC. I'm pretty sure it's 2020. And says. She did it. I did. I mean, we, we interacted in a, a lot of sexual ways. And there's no question in my mind that the feelings were mutual. This is the father-in-law. Right. Talking about how they were together sexually and not even like the local ABC affiliate is like, (laughs) Tom, did you just hear? (laughs) He's going on camera. I know. Openly saying that he and his daughter-in-law were involved in sexual ways. And Josh is like, I don't know where she is. But then Josh. What? And then Josh says, he's like, yeah, I think she ran off with another man. And this like anchor person is like, has she ever been unfaithful to you? Never that I know of. Then why do you think that she would just run off with another man? She's a very sexual person. You guys, this is where we learn that they have her teenage journals. And they're using her teenage journals as the basis for their opinions that she was loose, overly sexual, and was like sex crazed and ran off with another man. Right. This doesn't make any sense. There's no way you can link a journal from the time when you were 16, 17, 18 to something that you did when you were in your 20s. It doesn't make any sense. I don't know why this is getting any airtime. Right. So now Detective Ellis tells us like, look, we're doing our jobs. Like we are following up an 
every lead. They take- we're watching this shit on TV too, right. on the local news. Like we're appalled by all of this nonsense too, but we have no evidence. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? So then they start to go search the mines. Just somebody says just to rattle his cage. Frankly, just to rattle his cage because they knew all his goog searches, right? Right. So now they're like going into mines, and and Chris, the reporter, Slenderman reporter, not at all Slenderman reporter, <laughs> is like coming out of a mine what? on like local two, <laughs> like the, right. the local news being like police are searching mines like this one. This one, for example, goes straight back horizontally about 20 to 30 feet. But there are a lot of mines out here that drop straight down. Could this be the mine? <laughs> I don't know. All but winking at Josh. Being like, we're getting you, Josh. Like, I know. We, know. we know what you're up to. Such a Geraldo move. Totally. Garbage Geraldo. Only, like, only Chris is not Geraldo. Exactly. Nor Slenderman. No. So Josh and the dad are using these journals, right? right? They're using the journals to prove that she's run off. And slander her. And slander her. And so the Cox family wants the journals back. The Cox and the cops. So, so the cops <laughs> decide they're going to help the Coxes. Right. And Jillian, Jillian, what do they do, girl? Oh, they try to honk and wave. <laughs> The police knew that Steve and Josh had possession of Susan's journals, but they needed specific evidence to prove that they were being kept inside Steve's house. That's when they created a trap called the Honkin' Wave. You guys, they <laughs> go on for at least, in my mind, 20 minutes talking about this Honkin' Wave like we should know what it is. <laughs> Talking about this honking wave, like, oh, so, like, I went, what's the thing that everybody knows? Like, I hailed a cab, right? right? <laughs> like, I, you know, I went downstairs, like, something where it's like, oh, so we did a honking wave. Like, the music changes. And I'm like, what goddamn it is a honking wave? We know it's a plan, and we know the police and the Coxes are in cahoots to make this happen. We developed this honking wave. It was uh, a tactic that we used to kind of work a little bit closer with Mr. Cox. You stand out on the street with big signs and you ask people to honk and wave to you. They have pictures of Susan. They're saying we're just trying to keep her name in the news. And it's all these pictures of like, if you miss Susan, honk. And they do this in the neighborhood where they know Josh and his dad like go to the bank. The location of the honk and wave was critical. It had to occur at a place where Josh and Steve would see it. Right. So they're getting people to honk and wave. Right. But they're still not explaining how this is going to get them a warrant. Exactly. So they just keep saying like, so we're just going to, so the honk and wave, as I'm I'm sure you know, but I mean, uh, do I have to repeat it again, Tom? All right, fine. (laughs) The honk and wave, we we hold up photos and we get people to honk and wave. And I'm like, but what? But why? But how does this how does this lead to a warrant? Never in my life have I heard of a honk and wave. You've said it 16 times. You say with a straight face, this is the most serious the the series has been. I know. The honk and wave. And I'm like, honk and wave, how dare you have not said not my drag that's my drag name yet. How have you not? How dare you? Give me your card. I'm taking it away. What it is, is they're trying to provoke Josh's dad because they know he's crazy. So they know that if Josh's dad sees Susan's dad out on the street doing this honking wave. And and people caring. Right, exactly. Then he's going to let, and there's media there. He's going to come over and he's going to make a stink. And they think if they can get him angry enough, they can get him to admit that the journals are in the house so that they would have probable cause to go in there and get them. And one of my favorite things is that, because Stephanie, the the Maggie of this series, we see her kind of sparingly right. only when it's really necessary and yeah. again I'm like I, I, I'm i sorry I still don't get how this will lead to a warrant with the honking <laughs> wave 
And we see Stephanie to camera. I mean, not a hair out of place. <laughs> the lip gloss on. She looks gorgeous. I don't know where she is. The lighting is perfect. And she she's taking it so seriously. And she's like, the position of the honking wave was crucial. And I'm like, you can keep saying honking wave, but it's not going to help me understand how they're going to get a warrant. But the thing about it is that it works it in works. that Josh's dad gets super mad. And he comes over and he's yelling at Susan's dad. And this is where it gets so fucking mean. Because- you mean when we get the title card that says August 20th? the honking wave like you guys I can't stress they took this so seriously and it ended up working but we get a title card we get a title card when she's missing we get a title card for important things the honking wave gets its own title card in this series I was screaming Stephen Powell falls for it hook line and sinker yeah Susan's abusive husband and his father show up willing to confront her family in front of the media the only thing they told us is they believe She's alive. They've told us that. And Josh had nothing to do with her disappearance. They know she's alive. They wouldn't say they believe she's alive. They know she's alive. He's saying all these horrible things, all these accusations, and you just see, like, as they keep cutting back, because they're cutting back to our talking heads, and every time they cut back to the actual news footage, there's just, like, another mic, like, closer to him. (laughs) And Chuck, Susan's dad, is saying... He wanted to get in on this, and so I'm kind of going like this. So they can get all his words because I know he's an idiot. He's going to do something stupid. He's like, I didn't want to like mess this up. Yeah, because yeah. Because I was yeah. actually folding my arms so that I wouldn't say anything because he was the bait. Like exactly. Chuck was the bait. Exactly. Eventually, but- Steve brings up the journals on his own accord, <laughs> and everyone is like, oh, "You could see Chuck in the footage being like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god.' But he can't say that, so he's like trying to be calm about it. I could not believe he was doing it. You have no Susan right to those Powell journals. Those are my daughter's we'll probably journals. Probably be putting it on Susan Powell. These were no journals right that Susan. Completed when she was How did twenty you get years. A hold of them? They were Susan was twenty years old when she completed the journals, and she was married to my son. They are his property. Even the journalists who like don't know what's happening know something's happening. Right. Like how is he just talking about this? No one's asked him a question. He's just talking about it. Oh my god! And he says it like ha 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 ha. No 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 no. I win. Yeah. But really, what he what he said was welcome. Right. Here's your warrant. Here we go. There's my probable cause that those journals are in fact. In his house. That was our end. So the next shot is just the cops coming out of Steve Josh's dad's house with just boxes. Just box after box after box. And I'm like, wow, those are a lot of journals. Wow, that's a lot of videotape. Right. No, Oxygen has another <laughs> has another thing coming for us, you guys. We went to the house and looked for the journals, and then from there we found so much more. It was crazy. There was uh, cotton balls where Susan would maybe taking the fingernail polish off. They were dated and had her name on it. There was uh, pairs of panties that were in um, Ziploc bags. Feminine hygiene products that were in bags. Toenail clippings, hair clippings, things that you, you should not be kept. We were all in awe of basically the house of horrors we were looking at. I, what am I doing? I'm going to rip my fingers off. I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm a contortionist all of a sudden. It is it is so vile and disgusting. But, but I don't mean it's disgusting to look at these things, but it's disgusting what he has done to this woman. Right, like tampons are a thing. Right. Pommels are a thing. Underwear is a thing. The in, context. In the con- that, Thank you. That, I, I could not find the words. That's what I mean. And because you see these photos and it's just a mountain of stuff and it looks like a hoarder's house. Yeah. Honestly, and you're like, what is this? And then when you start realizing what it is and it's so organized uh-huh. and there's 
such like a meticulousness to it. And you're like, this is fucking, he's Buffalo Bill from Science of the Lambs. Really, truly. Like, he, Everyone like, around him, you in danger, girl. You in danger, girl. Yeah. Alina, I'm looking at you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seriously. And all the cops are just like, I don't want to talk about it anymore. But it was really, <laughs> they were like, the more we learned, the yeah. creepier it was. Like, they didn't know it could be that bad. Being law enforcement, you see a lot of things that are out of the ordinary. But this was beyond out of the ordinary for all of us. And then we learned that Susan was not the only person he was doing this to. She was definitely the the biggest target of She his. got it the worst. But we're seeing there's videotapes that he's narrating. He is taking video of women outside of grocery stores, waiting for them to get into their cars, hoping he's going to like see up their skirts. And then getting mad at them, like, oh, shut up already. Like, he hates women right. so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we learn he was also uh, taping young kids in the bath. What the fuck? Young kids in the bath and also like his like young kid neighbors yeah. from his window through their window. And then and then we get apologist Alina who's saying like, oh, th- th- this is unbelievable. She's saying that this was like a, a smear campaign that ruined her family. They'll never recover from it. And what my dad did wasn't even that bad. There was never any photo dissemination. There was never... There was never anything that really led to them suffering a harm. No, you know, intimidation or stalking or harassment or threats. It was pictures through an open window. If people are visible, they're visible. You know, if we choose to be visible, people can see us. She's talking about these people in the privacy of their own homes who just happen to have not closed the shades all the way. Alina considers that the public and that it was her dad's God-given right, right. And to she... videotape these young underage girls mm-hmm. going to the bathroom, right. in the bath, in the shower, undressing. Even if you're 30, she says it's your choice to do this. She victim blames yeah. from beginning to end and I'm fucking done. And again, she's a victim too. Like you you can't end she up that, that fucked up as a person without having suffered serious abuse yourself. I totally agree. And I'm the first person to say she's a victim here too. Yeah. But just to hear it was just, I mean, my blood was boiling. Right. And and then, yeah, as angry as I am, it's like, oh my God, Alina, I hope, I hope you have a friend or uh-huh. someone near you to sit you down and be like, there, there are things you need to see and it's going to be really hard and I'm going to be here for you the whole time. But oh my God, please. So they arrest him because videotaping somebody in their own home is against the law. And the kids, the underage kids. And the underage kids, all of that. Also that. The detective says to Josh, and and he gets choked up when he tells us this. Josh came out and I said, hey, Josh, I'm arresting your dad today. And I said, I'm also taking your kids under protective custody. And he said, okay. Didn't want to hug his kids goodbye. Didn't want to say goodbye to him. I was just kind of chicken this detective calls Josh a chicken shit and he is so emotional when he says it because he knows what happens to the kids right. that he removed. Right. So Susan's family, of course, wants custody of the kids. Yeah. Obviously. Who else should have them? Nobody. Of course. Susan's yeah. family. So we see video of the kids being evaluated by a child psychologist or psychiatrist yeah. or something and they're in that, you know, the playroom that they're always in and little Charlie says, I mean, he's asked by the doctor, you know, like, does anyone say anything to you about your mom? Charlie, has anybody talked to you about your mom? We can talk about Susan or Campin. I, I, I always keep things as secrets. 
Oh God, this is so awful. And it's awful, but it also shocked me like how old he seemed. Like I know he's a kid, but he says like just, and you could hear it as clear as day. He goes, we can't talk about Susan or camping. And I have a lot of secrets and I keep all of them. So my question is, does this psychologist, and I'm not blaming her because I don't know what, what, what the very next thing that happened was. Because in my mind, the very next thing that would happen would be this kid is never allowed to see his father or that side of the family ever the fuck again. Right. That kid is given all the help in the world and they slowly and properly try to get the information. Like, what does this kid know? And I'm not saying pump this kid for information. I'm saying protect this kid. Right. This kid needs protection. Because he says Susan, not mom, and camping. He's talking about camping, which is the story Josh had. And secrets. This kid has been told to keep secrets. So what I do know that happens, I don't know if it's the next day, but like the, the Cox family gets the kids. Yes. And they realized, oh my God, these kids are wild. They were fighting. They would hurt each other to when they could. They would take things from each other. They were basically wild. So we had bedtime and we had, you know, we basically had to teach them how to be human again. They uh-huh. had no supervision. And we learned in the first episode that like Stephen Powell doesn't believe in supervision. Only his rules are the real yeah. rules. So they were like running wild. And they're They've fighting. They've also been traumatizing. They don't know where their, their mom is. Right. They're being lied to. They have these narcissists, this like super fucking toxic masculinity energy around yeah. them. Yeah. Like who knows what they're being told about the world. Yep. I mean, they were like wild animals. It's just these poor kids, these poor, poor, poor kids. Right. So a judge gives Susan's parents temporary custody of the boys. But... Because there's always a but. Yeah. Josh was given a chance to regain custody. Now, listen, the Oxygen series doesn't really go into this. But when kids are removed from the home, parents should be given the option to get their kids back. Right. And the, and the thing was that only if a court-ordered psychologist was able to sign off on Josh getting some kind of custody. Yeah. Or visitation or whatever. So Dr. James Manley... Yeah. Comes in. Dr. Manley is the only professional psychologist who spent one-on-one time with Josh, really giving him truly unique insight. My conclusion was he was a textbook father, did the textbook responses, showed up on time, did the right things, the children loved him. There was clearly a bond between the children and the dad. There wasn't anything to say at that time. He would not be an appropriate parent. This doctor is like, you know, Josh is a textbook parent, meaning he shows up on time uh-huh. and the kids don't have any broken bones. Right. And they're fed. And they like they like Josh because Josh doesn't give them any rules. Because he's fun. Right. In a kid's mind, he's fun because they don't have to eat or sleep or do whatever. They can yep. eat McDonald's or do whatever they want. There are no rules and structure. Yep. So this piece of shit is just like, I don't see a reason. I mean, right. yes, he lied <laughs> with the phone calls with the camping. And yes, he's super shady. And yeah, his dad was just arrested for all this creepy shit. Uh, but other than that, I really think... There's no reason for the kids to not be with Josh. And so our friend Detective Ellis is like, oh, hell no. They're like, all the cops, wherever they are, they're like, oh, they turn this car around (laughs) all together. It's like the spidey sense went off. I'm notified by Pierce County that uh, it's likely that Josh would be given custody of the kids. And that's something we didn't want. You know, like in so many of these documentaries, we've got shitty, shady cops. These are great cops trying to do the right thing. They hear that Josh is getting his kids back and they are like, oh, fucking hell no. Right. We need something to give the courts that would be concerning. And we were able to access some of Josh's hard drives. There was a lot of adult pornography, but there was also a lot of child animated pornography as well. Animated 
kitty porn. I didn't even know that was a thing. I went through all eight episodes of The Disappearance of Madeline McCann mm-hmm. and I'd never heard about animated kitty porn. Yeah, it's child pornography and it's uh, a lot of incest uh-huh. and young kids and just really just horrible things. So finally, Dr. James Manley's like... The pictures were deal breakers. I had to write an addendum to my report, and then that's when I uh, referred him to a psychosexual evaluation. Oh, well, that really changed my mind. <laughs> right. The child porn, not everything else, not the toenail clippings and the tampons and all this The mysteriously the mis- missing wife, and oh, this guy's a person of interest in his wife's disappearance. And the lying and the phone calls and the fake thing and the box fans, none of that. <laughs> right. And look, the child pornography is horrible. Right. But that's just in a long list of really questionable things. Exactly. Dr. James. Right. Doctor. So the kids stay with... With Suzanne's parents. And again, this is where it gets all fucking dear Zachary on us because the dad, who is completely unfit and there's all of this evidence that he should not be spending any time with his children, is granted visitation. After the porn, you guys. After, after the, the child porn. pornography. So this is so crazy and this is such an example of the system being so fundamentally flawed. He's granted visitation and it's supervised visitation. So In a government uh, facility. In a government facility. So they have to meet in a government facility in like a playroom and they they do this for a time or two. But See, then I thought that was bad enough. I, I thought he didn't deserve that. So then other parents apparently are complaining. They also are having visitation with their kids. They're really trying to do the right thing and get their kids back. They're like, isn't that that guy over there who's suspected of murdering his like wife? Like him and his dad killed his wife? Like, yeah. what's going on here? Can he not be around my kids, please? Rather than ending the visitation or doing it in a way where the, the, he wasn't around other families, which, by the way, I've been through this system mm-hmm. because we adopted our kids through foster care. I know how this works. You can make it. Exceptions. You can make this work. But instead, they took the path of least resistance and just said, oh, forget it. We'll just let him have visitation at his house. I rewound that so I many times because I, I was like, I have to make sure that this is what I'm actually hearing here. We knew he was going to try something. I'm afraid for the children. I don't want them to go visit him. I want you to have supervisors. No, no, it's fine. The lady will be fine. He's supervised. We're sure it's okay. He's shown no signs that there's a problem. And it's, no, I'm sure it's okay. It'll be fine. You, you have to do this. The other thing about this is that he it's still supervised visitation. And there's a social worker who picks up the kids from the Coxes and drives them to Josh's house. You are also asking this social worker, who we find out is like a 68-year-old woman, you're asking her to go into a, the home of a person we know is violent, we know is creepy, and we know was under suspicion for killing his wife. You're putting this social worker in total danger by asking her to do this. No social worker should have to do that. Right. So I'm wondering as a so- social worker, I'm just curious what my rights would be. Could I say I need someone else with me? Or like, is that a thing? Like, or I don't want to do just this. do what the, what the court said and keep it in a government building or what the Cox family is begging. Like, please, can this be somewhere else on like some kind of neutral territory? Yeah. Like, does it have to be like, is there no other place? And probably the Coxes were screaming from the top of their lungs. They said they were trying to talk to the cops, social workers, and no one was listening to them. And just from the Cox's perspective, if they didn't comply with the with the order of the court, they would lose the kids. So they can't say, like, I'm sorry, I'm not letting the kids go to Josh's house. They're not supposed to be there. If he said no, the cops would come, the kids would be taken away, and they'd be put into foster care. So to make matters worse, I, I'm inundated with Super Bowl Sunday shit. I know. Are you okay? No! Uh, once again, it's all about you and your pain. <laughs> Super Bowl Sunday was going to be a great day. I was having guests over so that uh, we could 
watch the Super Bowl and, and eat and enjoy the day like every other great American that loves football. Like every other good American, I was at home watching football. And one of the cops was like, look, it was my one day off. I get one <laughs> I day off a year. <laughs> I true. just wanted to sit and have a couple of wings and not <laughs> think about this shit. Because think about it, like to be in that line of work is exhausting and could be incredibly traumatizing. Totally. He was like, and the reason it's like, it should have been a good day. Right. <laughs> in Washington State, we should have just, I should have just been able to turn my brain off yep. for a couple hours and watch the guys do the thing. Oh God, the sports and the thing and the band in the middle at the intermission. So the social worker shows up at the Cox's house to pick up the kids. So the lady that came pick them up, she's a 65 year old woman. And, and she was just providing transportation, and she's supposed to stop Josh from running off with the kids. I figured he'd hit her, you know, hurt her, and just take the kids and leave, and we wouldn't know about it. She drives them over to Josh's house. So Josh opens the door, lets the kids in, and then slams the door in the social worker's face. Because he's like, hey, boys, I have a surprise for you. Gets them all excited. They run in and slams the door in her face. So this is the thing I've been dying to ask you about all day. What? This goddamn 911 call. I'm on a supervised visitation for a court-ordered visit, and something really weird has happened. The kids went into the house, and the parent, the biological parent, whose name is Josh Powell, will not let me in the door. I... So, <laughs> the social worker calls 911 from the minute this asshole picks up the phone, the dispatcher. He's annoyed with the social worker. I'm really um, shocked, and I could hear one of the kids crying, but he still wouldn't let me in. Are you there? Yes, ma'am. I'm just waiting to know where you are. You can't find me by GPS? No. And he's also not listening. She repeats the same information 8,000 times. He asks her whose house it is. She says Powell, Josh Powell, Josh Powell, Josh Powell 15 times. Yeah. Take a drink if she says Josh Powell. Yeah. Maybe you'll be a little numb to this fucked up story. Whose house is it? Josh Powell. Okay, so you don't live there, right? No, I'm on the supervisor here. At the same time, I'm like, Nancy, I just feel like her name's Nancy. <laughs> Nancy, like, I feel like she could have been a li- I don't want to blame anybody here, but it, it's she wasn't annoyed enough. And I want her to be like Josh Powell from the news. Right. You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, 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 she's yeah. not, yeah. she's just like, it's Powell. And he make, he's not listening. Wait a minute. If it's a supervised visit, you can't supervise yourself. I pick up the kids with their grandparents. Yes. And then who visits with the children? Josh Powell. He's not listening to her. And she's like, I'm I'm, I'm not. Right. <laughs> You're right. There should be someone else here because I can't do this by myself. But what, I'm, what I've said to you 800 times uh-huh, is, that, uh-huh. is that, is that, so I picked up the kids yep. at the other house and then yeah. I, I drove them here yeah. and then the guy, his, his name is Josh Powell. So I, I, he grabbed the kids and now I smell gasoline and I hear kids screaming and crying and I just really need help. And the kids have been in there by now approximately um, 10 minutes. And the dad's last name? Powell. P-O-W-E-L-L. Two L's? Two L's at the end of Powell? Yes. His first name? His first name is Josh. It is. I know. I, it's like, it's who's on first. The terrifying it's edition. The tragic. The world turned upside down. The upside down. The horrible, yeah. horrible, fucked up. Also, welcome to being a woman where no one believes anything you say <laughs> right. and they think you're an idiot. And right. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll have somebody look for you there. Okay. How long will it be? I don't know, ma'am. They have to respond to emergency, life-threatening situations first. 
he I know, I know, I know. Says to her in the most bothered way. Uh-huh. Well, I don't know, ma'am. They I have know. to respond to emergency life threatening situations first. And she says, This could be life threatening. This is really I'm a, I'm afraid for their lives. They smell gasoline and you won't let me in. I hear them screaming. I smell gasoline. I'm locked out of the house. This has never happened before. I'm afraid for their lives. I, know. I want this guy's name. I want this guy's name. I, he, I, I flames on the side of my face. Heaving like, breath breathing. Like, I know. He, I know. Like, I just, I just don't understand. Like, I just kept thinking how long that was going on. And we hear like it was at least 10 minutes. And like, not, not to say that anything good could ever come out of something like this, but please, please, Oh my God. Please tell me that they use this 911 call in every training known to man. Right. You know when you, you make a phone call and it's like, this call could be used yes. for faculty yes. training, for the employee training. I don't know yeah, why I this said one. faculty, like right. it's a school. <laughs> that, Th- this one, this one, this is the one you use. No matter what company you work for, no yeah. matter what, listen yes. to the person who's talking to you. Yep. I mean, it's, it seems very simple to me. Am I, am I crazy? <laughs> am I reaching for the stars here? <laughs> I just I know don't understand it because then I just have fuck with a shit ton of K's yeah yeah and then we just hear audio of Josh Powell calling people to say goodbye this is Josh I'm I'm calling to say goodbye I am not able to live without my sons and I'm not able to go on anymore I'm sorry to everyone I've hurt. Goodbye. Yeah, so I guess bef- prior to this or whatever. During it, yeah, I don't know. Because no one, because there wasn't a goddamn cop kicking down the door. Right, right, exactly. Because exactly. they couldn't spell Powell because no one watches the goddamn news. Right. <laughs> right. Like, I just don't understand. Like, this was happening. Like, Nancy, I'm sorry, whatever her name is, was outside <laughs> basically politely begging this yeah. dispatcher to pay attention to her. And Josh was probably making these phone calls right. as she was saying, I am worried. I, I'm in fear for their lives. Not to mention the fact that Josh. Josh just as easily could have pulled her in. Like, everyone's in danger. This never should have been allowed to happen. Well, it's not about her. It's about him right. and his boys that right. he was gifted and all this yep, bullshit. Yep, it's yep. all this fucking patriarchal yep. bullshit. Right, exactly. And so here we are. Like, all of a sudden, the house is just on fire. Josh spread gasoline throughout the house and then soaked down the room himself and the area where the boys were. He lit a match. Oh, I hope nobody was in there. Also, like, why are you picking the absolute most painful way to die? Because he hates himself, I think. I think yeah. He, I think he... Yeah. I agree. The other thing that I, I meant to bring up is that when you see Josh eight years ago, when yeah. he gets married on his wedding day, he looks young, young for his age. He's just like this, like, skinny, pale white kid. Eight years later, when, you know, he shouldn't... He should look exactly the same as he did. He's, like, in his early 30s or whatever. He looks like he's a million years old. Mm-hmm. He is aged from the stress and the anger and the self-hatred. He does He's unrecognizable. And yet I feel nothing. I know. I, but that, that's what you can see. You can see this has been eating him from the inside. Yeah, well, then don't do it. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty easy. Simple, guys. And just when you think it can't get any worse and you're making the connection because they just show this burning house and yeah. you're like, oh, my God. And then we learn something else. There is nothing that was going to survive that fire. It was a total inferno and it was just blazing away. And then as we found out before he did that, through the autopsy, it showed that he assaulted the boys with what we believe is a pick or an axe. We know that they were running back to a room where their toys were. That's where they were found. 
and they were holding hands with each other and lying on the floor holding hands. And I heard that and I took my headphones off and I just closed my eyes and I just thought, oh my God. The system failed these boys. Uh, The system failed Charlie and Brayden. They should not have been with him. No. They should have been with Susan's family. No, yeah. It was so clear. They were failed by the system. The the one thing I want to say here is that we see Chuck, the grandpa, mm-hmm. you know, and he's Susan's saying dad. Susan's dad, who's saying, like, I got to the house and I just knew as soon as I got there, they were gone. And he's not crying. I mean, of course, I'm sure he's dead inside. I'm sure he's so sad. But he says, and I was so glad to hear him say this. The smoldering heap is still there. I'm just standing here looking at him thinking, what more could I have done? I, ta- I, I did everything I could to protect the children. I... I I told everybody I was supposed to. Now these all these lives are ruined and everything's, you know, these kids are gone. I couldn't protect them. What more could I do? And the answer just came into my mind, nothing. There's nothing more to do. I told everybody that needed to be he told. Tried. I threw up every flare, every red flag. I made people aware of it. There's nothing else I could have done. It, it was just an utter failure. It was just an utter failure of the system. Mm-hmm. And he just had to stand there and watch as good people sometimes have to do. It's yeah. horrible. And I wonder, like, I don't I don't mean to drag Ellis. And maybe when I listen to Cold, maybe I will. I don't know. I don't yeah. know enough about it, that detective. But, like, all those times they couldn't get the warrant. And all those times yeah. they let him go home. So it's, it's one month later. And Stephen, Josh's dad, is on trial. Mm-hmm. And we're hearing from all of the talking heads, like, well, the hope is that now that Josh is gone, maybe with the three of jail time, Stephen, the dad, the creepy dad who was obsessed right, right. with Susan, who obviously knows where Susan's body is. Right. Maybe with the threat of jail time, we can get him to tell us where she is and we'll get some closure for the Cox family. Right. Because he's on trial for voyeurism. He has hours of tapes. Like that yeah. idiot. He left all the breadcrumbs. And right? child, and child porn, porn. And like, I mean, it's, he's a horrible, horrible person. Right. But instead of taking a plea where he tells them where Susan is, he just takes the fifth. Steve Powell took the Fifth Amendment on answering any questions regarding Susan, period. And I believe that's because he knows where she is or what happened. And he had some part in it. I can't do anything about that because in our justice system, people have the right against self-incrimination. And he took that right. This person has nothing inside him. Right. He's an empty shell of a person. There's He has no emotion, no, no, no. no empathy, nothing. And he gets 10 years. Steve gets 10 years. And Alina, the daughter, is crying. And I have I just have, get the fuck out get of here. Get the fuck out of here. She's like, she keeps using this word campaign. It's a bully campaign. It's a smear right. campaign. Excuse me. Your father's a bully. Yeah. Your father tried to smear Susan Powell. Like, I can't. I can't. I can't. And then there's one other thing. We've known throughout that Josh had a, a, another brother named Michael, who was his other close contact confidant other than his dad and now that the dad isn't talking they think well maybe michael will talk right and then and then we just learn michael goes to the top of his roof of his building and jumps off and kills himself yeah he takes his own life and and then we we look back and it's like well he was involved in some things like there was a private investigator involved who found some stuff and i'm like there are people in the powell family who know exactly what happened of course so so brother michael's dead so the dad steve who, who got that 10 year sentence uh, he gets out in july 2017 which is not 10 years everybody do the math right <laughs> and he and then he has a heart attack and dies right and I, in my notes i have bye <laughs> but it's like well he was the last person who probably knew where susan was right and we hear this last because oxygen always has to have a never before heard some bombshell yeah. thing 
What they're trying to do is they're trying to connect, like, what could possibly have made Josh kill his own wife? And they play this old tape where Steve, the dad, confesses his love for Susan to Susan. And he was recording this without Susan's knowledge. Right. How they know that, I don't know. Right. Probably because she was actually talking to him about it. Right. And it's just audio. It's not video. Exactly. But I was wanting to really know because I'm, I am going crazy. You know, I, I can't think of anything else other than you. I was extremely aroused. I think you were somewhat aroused. At least I thought maybe, I, maybe I'm getting the wrong signals from you. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm interpreting something that I shouldn't be interpreting. Married to your son and... And so the theory that Stephanie, the host, is telling us is that Susan took this confession of love back to Josh and told Josh, like, hey, this is what's going on with your dad and I'm really uncomfortable, whatever. And that is, according to Stephanie, that's when the abuse started and that's what the abuse ultimately led to him getting so abusive with her that he murdered her. Right. And then it truly ends on just like a plea from all of these like badass women experts that we have just being like, if you can reach out for help, talk to people, tell people what's going on. It doesn't have to be physical. Like we need to change the laws. All of these horrible statistics about every like once every second around the world, a Uh woman is being abused in some way or killed or whatever. We need to stand up and support laws like the Violence Against Women Act, a key piece of national legislation that requires funding. We need to say with our tax dollars and with our laws that it is not okay to treat people violently. It's not okay to be abusive and it's not okay to use power and control with your family. Oh, good. Well, we'll be looking forward to that. So I guess I'll just sit here in my uh, depression and shame and cocktails. And you just, you just, you guys just let me know. You men let me know when the laws have been changed and it's safe for me to go outside. Uh... <laughs> Oh, girl, that was crazy. I really, really wasn't expecting that to be so brutal. And then I forgot that along the way, I was like, oh, I know this story. I forgot that I knew it. I felt the same way where I was like, wait, is this the one with the, oh, oh God, is it? And I, I know, kept yeah, wanting yeah, it to yeah. not be what I thought it was going to be. Uh-huh. And then it's just like a like a train was just like, nope, no, here we are, girl. <laughs> You're in it now. Well, on a lighter note, you guys, two more live shows this year. Yep. Come see us live. You really have not experienced TCO to its fullest until you've seen us live. Mm-hmm. Uh, a- and really unedited, truly. It's it's- And unscripted. We're saying all the things, you guys. Better or worse. You get to see the eye rolls. You get to see the contortionist, the the shoulders to our ears. You're seeing it all. It's true. September 26th in Toronto uh, for the Just for Last Festival. And then October 5th in Brooklyn with Lance and Maggie and Tim. We're doing the Maura Murray thing. I've got my costume. It's going to be crazy. Uh, The Patreon, you guys. Don't forget at the $5 level on Patreon, you get over 90 full bonus episodes right now. The Staircase, The Jinx, Making a Murder. Mm-hmm. Lorena um, um, disappears Madeline McCann. Every time you say this, I feel like you're quizzing me I know. to mention another <laughs> a, a title before you do. And I'm like, Casey Anthony, Casey Anthony, who we talked about a ton of OJ Simpson. There's so much on the Patreon. There's all different levels. You can get ringtones, the after party, ad free episodes. Yeah. Just check it all out at patreon.com slash true obsessed. Yep. Also, just a reminder, you guys, this week on September 25th, I'm guest hosting the new podcast podcast called Today in True Crime. You can find Today in True Crime on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. 
Girl, what are we doing next? We're doing Roll Red Roll on Netflix. Yeah, Netflix reached out to us and asked us to cover it. You guys have been asking for it. We love Netflix, and of course we're going to. Mm-hmm. And I'm not looking forward to it because it's going to be really hard. No, it's it's um it's the Steubenville rape case. So. Yeah, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And but we're gonna get through it together as a family. Yep. Uh, you guys stay tuned for our hilarious outtakes in the yeah, trailer for Roll Red Roll. Yeah. We love you. We love you. Thank you so much. And we're all getting through this together, right? Yeah. Yeah, we are. I don't know. Let's go have some drinks. Yeah. Cheers. <laughs> All right, bye. bye. When I first read this story, there wasn't a lot of substance to the article. Two high school football players had been charged. Just a couple of paragraphs about these two boys, and that was it. I thought, this is nuts because that town is so entrenched in their football team. This is big news. So that's when I started snooping around. I had never seen a case constructed like this. That many people who have some information. This was a sexual assault with teenagers, and the cell phone stole the story. We had photos. We had 400,000 text messages. It was on Twitter, actually. Just the complete lack of empathy, that was what was so frightening. I mean, it was all out there. Uh, I just didn't understand it at all, because I don't think it's something that doesn't occur in other cities and states and counties all over. If teachers knew about it, if coaches knew about it, if a principal knew about it, if parents knew about it, why was nothing done about that? The question was, is this football town, you know, putting its daughters at risk by protecting its sons in a situation like this? Yeah, it's kind of like when I hear this podcast back and I'm like, did I say that? (laughs) Was that me? Sorry, Mom. Sorry, Dad. Oh, my God. It's a whole bunch of bullshit, really. Ding, whatever. God. This afternoon, I was watching this in your presence and I literally took my headphones off and I said the honking wave. I said, oh, I got four pages on this. Look, I don't think broad or dame is an insult. Should I? No. No, broad and dame are two words that we use to describe our Broadway leading ladies. Right, because that you have a kind of a quality. If you're a broad, oh shit, move out of the way. (laughs) When Patty Lapone is in the building, you do what she says. <laughs> Bette Midler, I'm looking at you. Yeah, totally. A little Bernadette Peters, Carol Burnett. Once Miss again, Leslie you're back. Margarita. Miss Margarita. Ms. Queen Leslie Margarita. Oh, she's a dame uh, and a broad. She's a good hybrid. 